You're listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Those of you that are watching online, we're so thankful to have you as well. And uh, you know, this is our third service this morning, and we have just seen God do some amazing things, and I'm so grateful for you. I'm also uh, just so excited to have the kids in our service this morning. As you saw, every Sunday uh, between now and July the 12th, we're going to have kind of a section in our service that takes what the Bible lesson is about and puts it into a story form. So we want to really celebrate that. So if you're happy to have the kids in the room, will you give them a hand? This, All right. So glad to have you guys. Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 15. Uh, Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be, and uh, we're going to be looking at two verses. And before we do so, normally every Sunday, we pray for an unreached, unengaged people group around the world. And this morning, I just feel like with the events that's going on in our, in our society, in, in our country, uh, we need to just take time to pray for our nation. We want to pray for uh, people uh, in uh, our country who are grieving uh, just because of what's going on between the protest and, and just coronavirus. But also we want to just think about our African-American community here in Sanford, but also just around the United States. We want to pray that God would bring real healing, that he would end racism and injustice, that he would end um, the brutality that we're seeing going on in the streets. And so we want to be praying for God to bring healing. But here's what I know. The only way that true healing is going to come is when Jesus returns. And so I think a part of our prayer is, is that God would use this time to have the church be the church and speak into people's lives, but also to pray that Christ would return and make everything sad untrue. So let's pray together as we begin. Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you for just how awesome uh, you are. Lord, as we think about our, our country, we think about just what's going on um, with the protest. Uh, Lord, that there was, uh, there's been quite a few going on even in our city in Orlando. Lord, we just pray that you would bring peace. God, I hate injustice. I hate racism. Uh, Lord, I uh, hate any type of brutality. And Lord, we pray that you would end those things. God, we pray that this moment in our history would awaken us to the needs of others, that we would see all people are created in your image and deserve honor and dignity and respect. And God, I pray for our leaders, and I pray, God, for good and lawful law enforcement. Father, I thank you for good and godly law enforcement, many of which are a part of this church family. And Lord, we just pray that you would just bring healing in our land. God, do a work that only you can do. We say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Luke 15 and verse number one, would you stand as we read God's word to get your Baptist aerobics? Even you watching online, you go ahead and stand where you're at. You've been in bed since uh, it's 11 o'clock. It's time for you to get out of bed. And let's read God's word together. The Bible says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You may be seated. One word that we say in the English language uh, that, that kind of we use quite a bit is the word welcome or you're welcome, or welcome home. We, we, hopefully when you came in, you heard that. You know, if someone comes up to you and they say, thank you, uh, if you were raised with any kind of manners at all, you said, you're welcome. 
You know, as a great theologian, Maui says, it's okay if you say you're welcome. Uh, The reason that we say you're welcome is that we acknowledge that someone else has shown us gratitude. Now, many of you that are Chick-fil-A people, if you ever go to Chick-fil-A and you say, thank you, they say, my pleasure. See, many of you eat at that great, wonderful place that's closed on Sunday, or it's closed on Sunday. But when you, uh, when you say you're welcome, uh, you're saying that to acknowledge. But, but then we say, well, we want you to feel welcome here. We want you to uh, be welcomed and be welcomed home. Hopefully, you receive that again, as I said this morning. And the reason that we say that, it's just kind of a basic form of hospitality. We, the reason that we use that is we want people to feel wanted. We want them to feel included. We want them to, to, to feel like they're a part of the group. Have you ever been somewhere where you weren't? where you didn't feel welcome, maybe you went to a restaurant or maybe you went somewhere and maybe you were sitting at a restaurant and the server didn't come by or if he or she did, they would look at you and say, what do you want, you know, and you just, you didn't want to be there and they didn't want you there either and so either you leave or you just kind of endure it but then you write a really bad review on social media. You know, listen, we all want to feel welcome. We all want to be wanted. No one wants to be rejected. We all want to be in a place where people want us to be there and I know some some of you have maybe your experience in the church has been you feel unwelcome. Maybe some of you watching online, you're saying one of the reasons I watch online is because every time I come to church, I just feel like nobody wants me there or that people are always staring at me. Well, I've got some good news. This month, we're going to be looking at, I think, one of the great chapters in the Bible. And this is a chapter that has a theme that says that God welcomes sinners. So here's some good news. Jesus welcomes you. If you're here this morning, Jesus welcomes you. Luke chapter 15 is a chapter devoted entirely to the fact that the gospel is good news for sinners. It's good news for those who no one wants, those who are unimportant, those who are rejects, and those who are outcasts. And so as we look at the first two verses, we see that they set the stage for three parables that Jesus is going to tell, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to be walking through all of those parables. But this morning, it's all about setting the stage. So verses 1 and 2 tell us this, that we see sinners are gathered around Jesus, but the religious establishment grumbles, which reveals their ignorance to their ultimate need for Jesus. Look at these two things. First is sinners that gathered around Jesus. In verses number one, verse number one, it says, now tax collectors and sinners were drawing near. Jesus had a magnetic personality. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jesus attracted all kinds of people, but he particularly seems to attract outcasts in society. It has been said that light attracts bugs. Well, Jesus attracted here in this, in this little uh, story here, in this little part, he, correct, he uh, attracted both tax collectors and sinners who were known to be the scum of Jewish society. Now, we don't know what kind of what Jesus kind of looked like. We have maybe uh, Isaiah chapter 53 that says that he had no form or beauty that we should esteem him. We really are not told about his physical characteristics. I think that for some of us, uh, we have this idea that he looked like Fabio. Those of you that know that reference or he had long hair and looked European and was really tall with big muscles. Probably not. He's probably short, had really dark hair, dark skin, probably somebody that you wouldn't necessarily think would be what Jesus would look like. We don't know the color of his skin, but we do see in the scripture 
captures the content of his character. Uh, Tim Keller speaks about this. He says that Jesus combines high majesty with the greatest humility. He joins the strongest commitment to justice with astonishing mercy and grace. He reveals a transcendent self-sufficiency and yet entire trust and reliance upon his heavenly Father. We are surprised to see his tenderness without weakness, boldness without harshness, humility without uncertainty. That's who Jesus was. He had to be awesome. And so, we have two groups of people that are assembling around Jesus. One are tax collectors. Now, nobody really likes tax collectors. If you're a tax collector, we, we're praying for you. But, I mean, you know, how many of you love the IRS? I mean, I went to Washington, D.C. this fall, and I went by the Department of Treasury, and I waved at my money. I said, hey, guys, I miss you. Now, the good news is a few weeks ago, we got some back. But anyway, uh, the IRS, uh, the tax collectors in Jesus' day were, were people that were tax farmers. So the Roman Empire, they didn't send people from Rome to collect taxes. They would hire different people within the region that they conquered. And, and then basically people that would say, you know what, I can get the taxes in one month, or I can get taxes in a month and a half, or I can get uh, more taxes and I can do it quicker. So whoever they got the, the best bid would be the one who got the bid. And so how they made their money, let's say the Roman tax was 10%. Well, what they could do is they could charge 20, 30, 40, 50% in tax. Rome gets 10% and they get the rest. So they were rich people, but they were known, especially if they were Jewish, as being sellouts and traitors to their own people in lieu, in light of the Roman, uh, Roman Empire. And so people hated tax collectors. Matter of fact, tax collectors in Jesus' day couldn't testify in court because they were known to be liars and dishonest. They were not allowed to go to synagogue. They were not allowed to go to temple for worship. They weren't even allowed to give money to the temple or synagogue because their money was tainted because it was taken dishonestly. Think about this. How bad do you have to be for the church to not take your money? I mean, how bad? Listen, here's some good news. There's no one here that's too bad, all right? No one here that bad. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, Pastor, if I won the lottery, would you take a tithe from the ch uh, to the church from, from the winnings of the lottery? I said, absolutely we would. It's been the devil's all these years. It'll be ours now. <laughs> now, listen, here, these tax collectors come in. They were known to be just the worst of the worst. But then you have these sinners. Now, the word sinners here was a word used by the religious people that basically was a junk drawer word for anybody who was a lawbreaker, an adulterer, someone who was unclean, someone who lived for themselves and had a questionable occupation. These were the pimps, the prostitutes, the crackheads. The drunks, the liars, the thieves, the lawbreakers, the Sabbath breakers, the non-kosher eaters, those who didn't go to, uh, to synagogue and those who didn't brush their teeth. These are just the low lives of society. And so you have these tax collectors that everybody hated and these sinners that no one liked. And they're all gathering around Jesus. And the Bible says to not just, they didn't just draw near him, but they drew near him to hear from him. They wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Jesus loved them enough to not be turned off by them, to not shun them, but to actually speak to them and have a relationship with them. Jesus had a reputation of loving people like this. As a matter of fact, Mark chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says that many followed Jesus. Even the writer of the book of Matthew, his name is Levi as well, uh, one of the 12 disciples is one who was a tax collector who followed Jesus. So the question I want us to ask this, this morning is this, is that do you and I have a reputation for loving people? Do sinners actually want to hear what you have to say? Do people 
see you as someone that they want to hear from? Or are we so divisive, so condescending, so dismissive, so harsh that we may win the argument but lose the audience? Do people want to run to us to hear from us or do they want to run from us? You know, I know some people that every time they walk into a room, the room just, the lights just go out. I've seen some people that they're just so sour. Now, a lot of, you know, some of them are like porcupines. They got a lot of good points, but you don't want to be around them. And there's some people in the church that are that way. Listen, the gospel message is offensive. It really is. It is offensive because the only way you can become a Christian, the only way you can be right with God is you have to admit how bad you are. And it's offensive on its own. And therefore, if it's going to be offensive on its own, that we as believers, we don't need to have any other adding to that offense, that we should not add to the offense of the gospel, but we should love people and share the gospel with people and have it to where they actually want to hear from us. I am afraid that one of the things that we are learning in our day with what's going on with protests, with what's going on with a lot of other issues in our culture, is that nobody wants to listen to the church because we have been too hypocritical, we have been too ugly, we have been too sinful in how we deal with other people. Jesus had people gather around him. But here's the second thing. The second thing is this. We see the Pharisees that grumbled at Jesus. They grumbled. Now, who are the Pharisees? I'm glad you asked. The Pharisees and the scribes are the religious establishment. They were the professional theologians. They were the conservative wing of the Jewish people. They were the scholars of the law and the keepers of the tradition. They were the working class. If you read the Bible, they were the religious antagonists against Jesus in the gospel. They were the, they were the bad guys, I guess, if you want to call them in the gospels. And the Bible says here that they grumbled. Now, this word is only found two times in the New Testament, and it's, and it's really only found in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 19, verse 7, where the Pharisees grumbled when Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house. You remember Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, Okay. And he went and climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Anyway, so they murmured, they grumbled, they complained. And the Bible here, the tense is that they murmured among themselves. So they were discontent with disgust. And they had two issues. The issues are this. This man, Jesus, receives sinners and he eats with them. Now, if you were in the first century Jewish audience, you would have gasped. You went, ah! that Jesus... Receive sinners, and we're, we're going to try this. When I say eats with them, you go, ah, okay. This man receives sinners and eats with them. See, that's what they would have done. That was kind of interesting. That was fun. It's called group preaching. See, because in this day, to eat with somebody was a sacramental act in which you accepted them on a very deep level. So, like, in Jesus' day, you could have friends you could be friends with somebody, but you wouldn't eat with them. It's like in our day, you can have Facebook friends, but you're not really friends with them. So in Jesus' day, you could say, hey, we're acquaintances, we're friends, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend five minutes eating with that guy. Well, in Jesus' day, eating with somebody was an intimate act. So rabbis, it, they would only eat with a select group of people. Holy people would only eat with a select group of people because if you ate with a rabbi, you were giving a blessing on those people and on that food by your sheer presence. So the food would be better for you and it would be blessed if you ate with a holy man. So what's the application of that? The application is you should invite me to eat lunch with you. All right, if you want to be blessed. Anyway, I'm just kidding. So 
The Pharisees should have been in awe. They should have been in wonder. But instead, they grumbled and they complained. They were disturbed. All they could see is sinners. All they can think about is how unclean those people are. They're thinking, Jesus, if you only knew what we knew about these people, you wouldn't spend any time with them. They're completely, utterly just aghast at the fact that Jesus is going to dirty himself with his presence with them. See, to the Pharisees, to the religious people, friendship and love was conditional. You could only be friends and only love somebody who meets your conditions or meets your standards. You couldn't be friends with somebody who wasn't like you or didn't add value to you or didn't believe in your values. In this day, the Pharisees were only attracted to people who were like them. Now, that doesn't happen in our day, does it? As a matter of fact, if we're really honest, we all have a degree of Phariseeism in us. We look at people under those lenses. See, the worst thing that they could have ever thought about Jesus is that Jesus eats with sinners, that he welcomes sinners. It would be like the late Billy Graham having lunch with Lady Gaga, Eminem, and Bernie Madoff at the barn in Sanford this afternoon. (laughs) It would be completely unthinkable. How could Jesus sink so low? They were not commending Jesus. They were condemning Jesus. And here's the truth. They didn't give a rip about these people. They didn't care that these people were in sin. They didn't care that these people were hurting. I mean, nobody wakes up and says, you know what? I think when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. No, they don't think about these things. Probably most of them, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a deadbeat, lazy person that's, that's addicted to crack cocaine. Nobody wakes up thinking that as their little kid. Things happen. Sin happens. And instead of having compassion on those people, the Pharisees just snubbed their nose at them. As a matter of fact, Jesus is going to denounce people like this in Luke chapter 11, verse 15. In which he says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You do not enter yourself, and you've hindered those from entering. So they have the truth, they had the word of God, but they didn't obey it. And guess what? They didn't share it with anybody else so that they could obey it. You know, we can be so self righteous that we think we have the truth, but we don't even share the truth. And it tells us we don't really know the truth. See, the Pharisees were blind to their own blindness. In this text, there are three kinds of sinners. One is the upper-class sinners, the rich sinners. These are the tax collectors. They stole from the poor and got rich. Then you have the lower-class sinners. These were just the junk door sinners that were just the poor sinners that just did a bunch of sin. But then the the other group of sinners is the religious sinners, the Pharisees. These are the worst kind of sinners that there are because they didn't see just how blind and how broken that they were. It has been said that Satan's true masterpiece is not the prostitute, but the Pharisee. See, here's what I want us all to understand. We may not do what others do, but we are just as sinful as they are. And and what's happening in our culture, what's happening even in our day with protests and political division is feeding into the narrative that is not from God, it's demonic. It is the us versus them narrative. That it's us and them. And you either with us or you're with them. And we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. And this kind of narrative has this in mind that, that we have to have them to justify us. And we have to find our identity and our superiority and not being them. 
And we have to categorize and divide people, and I have to make them to be bad people. I have to say that, well, they don't think like I think and dress like I think and are dressed like I'll dress and look like I look and talk like I talk. Well, so I, that's them, and then this is me, and I find my identity in being different than them, and I find my identity being better than they are. And you say, well, Pastor, I don't think that way. Well, there are some subtle ways in which we do. We do it in sports. Our team, my team, is better than your team. Kentucky is the best of all. But I mean, even in this room, we have people that love the Gators. I guess nobody does. Or did COVID-19 take that away? I don't know. We have people that love the Gators. And we have people that love the Seminoles. And the Gators say, I'm better than the Seminoles. And the Seminoles say, I'm better than the Gators. And they both know that they're better than the Hurricanes in Miami. We do this in politics. We have Democrats versus Republicans versus independents. We do this in economics. We say that my class of people, my socioeconomic strata is better than your socioeconomic class. We do this generationally. We say my generation is tougher and smarter and wiser. You're a bunch of stinking snowflakes. We do this with style. My style is better than your style. We do this within the church in which we say that my preferences are better and probably more godlier than your preferences. And we do this when it comes to race. Now, I just want to say this very plainly as possible. There's only one race. It's the human race. There's one problem. It's sin. And one solution. His name is Jesus. What we have is we have people of different ethnicities. We have people of different cultures. We have people of different skin pigmentation. But Jesus, God isn't colorblind. Do you know that? Some people say, well, I don't see color. Well, I hope you do, or you're colorblind. No, Jesus isn't. God, is, he created, he made us all different. Aren't you glad we all don't look the same? Aren't you glad we all don't look like me? That's a great thing, right? It's a gay man. Somebody's clapping over there. They got the spirit a second ago. We're different. We should embrace it. We're not colorblind. We should be color bold. We should embrace it. Instead of categorizing people on the basis of their skin color rather than the content of their character. But yet we do this. And what happens is, is this translates into how we systematically classify people. So here's what we do. We instantly dismiss people that are not a part of us. So if you're a part of them, I just dismiss you. So if you don't think like me and talk like me and look like me and dress like me, you're part of them. And so I don't have anything to do with you. I don't really want to hear from you. I don't care what you have to say because you're a part of them. Or we dehumanize people that are against us. We, um, pardon me, we demonize people who are against us because when you idolize us, then you demonize them. And then the last is you dehumanize people that don't agree with you, don't like you, and you don't like and you don't want. We do this. Now, you say, well, Pastor, how do we dehumanize people? I'm going to give you a couple examples, and they're kind of two different ones, and some are, both of them are going to take one of you off, okay? We, we've had a lot of people that, and look, I don't like looting. I don't like rioting. That's sin, right? Burning up buildings and stealing from people is not going to change anything. It's going to make things worse. But I hear a lot of people, even Christian people, say, look at those animals. When you call them animals, you are dehumanizing them. Because they are people made in the image of God. They're just sinful. 
And here's what the, John Owen said that the seed of every sin is in every heart. That all of us could be just as sinful and just as wicked as those people that we're calling animals. Now, that's one side. The other side is this. We have a society in which we don't want to call a baby in a mother's womb a baby. We want to call it a fetus. Because if you call it a fetus, it's not a human. And if you dehumanize the baby in the womb, then you can do whatever you want with it. And that's what this us versus them narrative does. It dismisses people that aren't us. It demonizes people that are them. And it dehumanizes people we don't want or like or think like us. And the reason that we do that is because deep down inside of us, we have a need to feel superior. We need to look down at other people so that we don't feel so bad about ourselves. That doesn't come from God. That comes from our sinful flesh and demons. Here's what we see about Jesus. Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he was no friend to sin. Jesus, nowhere in scriptures does he condone sin, dismiss sin, or ignore sin. He tells people like it is. He knew what they were doing was wrong, and he told them. But yet he was a friend of sinners. He attracted people to himself, and he shared the gospel through those relationships that he built with people. Jesus didn't come to people and say, you know what? Just, you need to pursue self-expression. You just be who you want to be. Free your mind, and the rest will follow. You just do whatever you want to do. You just live however you want to be. If you want to be this, you be this. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, all right, we're all just going to hate all the religious people in the world. He didn't say that. He didn't tell people to eat, drink, and tolerate Jesus neither condoned sin, nor left people in their sin, nor communicated any disdain for sinners. Craig Bloomberg said this. He said, Jesus did not fear the outcast would contaminate him. Rather, he expected that his wholesome love would infect and change them. And again and again, that's what happened. Jesus wasn't worried about them changing him, contaminating him. He wanted to love them so he can change them. See, because what Jesus did is he spoke the truth in love. He didn't water down or compromise anything. But he also didn't ostracize and marginalize people. See, we have this ability where we say, I'm never going to compromise. I'm never going to give. And that's great when it comes to the gospel. But then yet we ostracize and marginalize people who don't agree like we do. And what happens is, as I said earlier, we may win the argument but lose the audience. Jesus did not have to feel superior to sinners. You know why? He was superior to sinners. He was. But guess, he didn't go around and say, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I'm better than you are. He didn't do that. What did he do? He loved people. And that's why they hated him. Because Jesus didn't pick their side. Jesus didn't come to pick sides. Jesus came to take over. And because Jesus wasn't on their side, that meant he was on the other side. And if he's on the other side, he's a part of them, and we don't like them. See, think about this. If Jesus would have come as some military messiah who had overthrown Roman occupation and followed the traditions of the religious people, they would have loved him. But he wouldn't have been their savior. See, the problem that you see with the Pharisees is I think a problem that we also have in our lives, and I see this in myself, is that I don't see myself as a sinner in need of grace. See, what the Pharisees were looking for was a militant Messiah, but what they needed to be looking for was a Savior. But the reason that they didn't look for a Savior is because they didn't think they needed one. And so they were looking for other means. You know, it's been, you know think about what's going on in our world. What are people looking for? They're looking for a political solution, but they're looking for a political solution to a spiritual problem. And, and listen, 
I'm going to have prayer vigils. I'm going to, I'm going to be a, a part of and loving for peaceful protests that stand for truth and justice. But let me just say something. There is no political solution going to fix the problems of this world. It's only going to be King Jesus. And the only way we're ever going to come to that place in our lives where we agree with that is that we see that we are sinners in need of grace. And I am afraid that we, myself, have become so indifferent to the unimportant and in doing so, when we look at other people with disdain and we dehumanize them and dismiss them and demonize them, we are, under, we are showing and revealing that we have a lack of understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. In religion, motivation is based on fear and insecurity and guilt. But in the gospel, motivation is based out of grateful joy. In, in religion, I obey God in order to get things from God. But in the gospel, I obey God to get God, which is the greatest get to, God, to get. In religion, my identity is, and self-worth are based in how hard I work and how moral I am. And so therefore I have to look down on people who are lazier and immoral compared to me. But in the gospel, my identity and self-worth are centered on the one who died for me. And I'm saved not by my goodness, but by his grace. Therefore, I do not have the ability to look down on anybody because I am who I am by the grace of God. So listen, those of you online, Jesus was and is a friend of sinners, not because he overlooked or winked or ignored or laughed at sin. Jesus hates sin. He hates what sin does to people. But Jesus is a friend of sinners because he's a friend to sinners by saving sinners from their sin. Earlier when Jesus called Matthew, the tax collector, to be his disciple, Matthew threw a party. Well, he invited all of his friends. Well, who were his friends? They were lowlifes. <laughs> they were tax collectors, and they were sinners. And the Pharisees, who I guess were just constantly always watching everything Jesus did, saw Jesus, and they murmured within themselves. And Jesus responded. I don't know how he responded to them, through the window. I don't know. But here's what he says in Luke chapter 5. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Think about it this way. If you need to go to the doctor this week, and you call as soon as church is over to your doctor's office, and you call them, and they answer it like on the first ring, and, they say, and you say, I've got to come to the doctor, I'm sick. And they say, well, you can come anytime. You want to come right now? We have openings the rest of the day, anytime you want to come. So you go, you walk in, there's not a soul there. You're in the waiting room, they, you come in immediately. You leave, you come out, nothing, ever, nobody's there. What would you think? He's not a good doctor, right? Now let's say you call the doctor and you, you want to get an appointment and it says you can come in about two months, two and a half months. You might be dying now, go to the ER, but if not, see you in two months. You finally show up, it's two months, you've been dying with excruciating pain, you show up. And you're in a room and it's full of sick people. Now, socially distanced sick people, okay? Everybody's got their mask on. And you, it takes forever and you finally go in and you see the doctor. What would you think? You think, how awesome this doctor is. She, she's incredible. Everyone is coming to her for healing. Why? 
Because good doctors are always around sick people all the time. And they make them better. Well, Jesus is the great physician who hangs out with sick people. And he forgives sick people. And he changes sick people. Now, the religious people, those who are the worst kind of sinners, they don't see that they're sick, and so they never come to him. Here's the truth. We're all sinners. We're all sick. We're sick because of sin. And we need the great physician. And we just can't look at other people's sin and say, you know what? There are a lot of sick people in this world. I'm just going to quarantine myself until I die. No. Because you're still sick. You have to admit, listen, I'm sick, but I'm sick in a different way. As I said earlier, we may not do what they do, but we're just as sinful as they are. But here's the good news. The good news is, is that if you are sick and you realize you're sick, Jesus welcomes you. He's not turned off by you. He will not shun you. He will not turn you away. You can come to him and he'll heal you. Here's the thing about him. See, if you're a good doctor and Jesus is a good doctor, he's not going to leave you as you are. He's not. He's going to heal your heart. You know, you can love somebody, but you can love a sinful person. You can love somebody that has, and I'm not saying that if you're sick with cancer, you've got sin. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're a sinful person, we want to love you, but we don't want you to remain as you are. Just like if you knew somebody that had cancer and you love them, you're a friend of somebody who has cancer, you don't want them to just die of cancer. You want them to be healed of cancer. Well, the same thing is true with Jesus. Jesus is not just going to leave you as you are so you can live a life of self-expression. He wants you to be changed by his grace. And he'll take whoever. He really will. He'll save anybody who comes to him. Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. This saying is trustworthy and, fulling and, and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save good people. No, to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So I want to end with this. To the drunks, to the porn addicts, to the perverts, the victims prostitutes, the pimps, the adulterers, the thieves, the gluttons, the liars, the racists, the murderers, the losers, the freaks, the nerds, the geeks, to rednecks, chain smokers, Democrats, Republicans, independents, weirdos, potheads, meatheads, metalheads, crackheads, deadheads, and methheads, and everybody else I forgot to mention. I've got good news. Jesus loves you. And he'll save you and he'll forgive you if you just come to him. And that's the truth. Because there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners who plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Isn't that good news? Let me end with this. Two things real quick. Number one is this. If you are a Christian and you have been saved by grace... Here's what I want to say to all of us. Welcome other people as Jesus has welcomed you. We want to see change. Be the change you want to see. Love others as Jesus loves you. That sounds like a great commandment, doesn't it? Sounds like the second one. But here, as we end, and if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, Jesus will forgive you. He'll forgive the tax collector. He'll forgive the sinner. He'll also forgive the Pharisee and the scribe. Maybe you're the Pharisee. Maybe you're the scribe or maybe you're the sinner and the tax collector. Whoever you are, he'll save you. Just recognize your need for him and repent and turn to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time of 
being in your word. God, I pray right now that those of you, those that are in this room or those that are watching online, that your Holy Spirit spoke to them. God, I pray that those that are Christians would see that they're just as sinful as anybody else. And that, God, that we would love others as you, as you have loved us. And we welcome others, not condoning, not ignoring, not winking, not laughing at sin, but just embracing people and pointing them to you. And, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here, and I know there's got to be somebody here that doesn't have a relationship with you or they're watching online right now, God, that today would be the day of salvation for them. That they would pray a prayer like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done many things that fall short of your glory. But I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I ask, God, that you forgive me of my sins and that you save me, that you would be the Lord and Savior of my life. I trust you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.